0: Welcome back to the CMLTA podcast for the fourth and final part of our complaint series. Before we get started, it is important to remember that all information in each podcast is only applicable to current legislation, standards, codes of ethics, policies, and guidelines, all of which may change over time. Over the last few months, we have gone over the entire complaints process, including defining unprofessional conduct the many ways in which the Complaints Director may resolve a complaint, and understanding the investigations and hearings process. If you have not yet listened to the other episodes in the series, I highly recommend you do so as it will provide context and understanding for today's episode. One thing we have not yet discussed is interim conditions or suspensions. So, once a complaint is received, there's typically some time before the resolution is reached, as there may be time needed for investigations and evidence collection, as well as time to set a hearing. If the nature of the complaint leads the complaints director or hearing tribunal to believe that there may be risk to the public between the time the complaint was received and when it is resolved, they may impose conditions on an investigated person's practice permit or temporarily suspend the practice permit of an investigated person. Some typical interim conditions that may be imposed are practicing under supervision or limiting the areas of practice of the individual. If any interim condition or suspension is imposed on the investigated person, they can apply to the Court of Queen's Bench to reverse those decisions. Another major component to the complaints process that we have mentioned over the past three episodes but have not gone into any detail on is the appeals process. There are a few places throughout the complaints process where an individual can appeal a decision. If at any point a complaint is dismissed, the complainant can appeal that decision. If the complaint is dismissed by the complaints director before a hearing takes place, the complainant has 30 days to appeal the dismissal and the college has an obligation to notify them of their right to appeal and the time frame they have to make that appeal. If the decision is appealed, the investigated person will be notified, a complaints review committee will be struck, and they will have 60 days to begin the review of the dismissal. The Complaints Review Committee will be given any investigation report as well as the decision made by the Complaints Director. Once the review is complete, the Complaints Review Committee may refer the complaint to a hearing, direct the Complaints Director to conduct further investigation on the matter and then have them submit a report for consideration, or they may confirm the decision of the Complaints Director to dismiss the complaint. Whatever decision the Complaints Review Committee makes, they must provide reasons on this decision to both the complainant and the investigated person. There is also an opportunity for the investigated person to appeal any decision of unprofessional conduct made against them once a hearing is complete and they have 30 days to do so from the date of the decision, in the event that the decision of a tribunal is appealed... Our council or a panel made up of at least 3 members of council is charged with being the appellant body responsible for reviewing that appeal. The council or panel of council members are given the decision made by the tribunal as well as the record of hearing which contains all of the evidence that was presented during the hearing. If conditions have been placed on an individual's practice permit or their permit has been suspended or cancelled, an appeal must take place within 45 days after they have submitted a notice of appeal to the hearings director. In all other instances, the appeal must take place within 90 days of the submission of a notice to appeal. This timeline can be extended, but only with the consent of the investigated person. Once the appeal hearing is complete, the counsel or panel of counsel has 90 days to make a decision on the appeal. They can make any finding that in their opinion should have been made by the hearing tribunal. They can confirm, change, or reverse any finding made by the hearing tribunal. They can refer their matter back to the hearing tribunal to review additional evidence, or they can refer the matter back to the hearings director for a rehearing with a completely different hearing tribunal. There is also an additional and final level of appeal after an appeal to counsel. The investigated person or the complaints director on behalf of the college can appeal to the court of appeal within 30 days of the date the investigated person received the decision of the initial appeal from counsel. The court reviews the record of the hearing containing all the evidence that was presented and the decision that was made. The Court of Appeal, much like all other levels of appeal, can make any finding that in its opinion should have been made. They can confirm, change, or reverse any finding previously made by the counsel or refer the matter back to the counsel in accordance with any direction given by the court. As well, if the investigated person is the appellant and their appeal is at least partially successful, the court can award that any costs occurred from the appeal by the investigated person be repaid by the college. So now that we have discussed the different levels of appeal throughout the complaints processed, we have one more final topic to finish up our series on complaints. So for most of the information discussed in the series, it's applicable to all complaints, However, there are a few more stipulations and rules when it comes to complaints of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct. All MLTs should have a good idea of how sexual abuse and sexual misconduct are defined in the Health Professions Act. They are quite in-depth definitions so that there are no gray areas or confusion on the meaning of those terms for the purpose of the legislation and can be found in Section 1, NN1, and NN2 of the Health Professions Act. Very generally speaking, the sexual abuse definition covers all unprofessional conduct of a sexual nature that includes touching, and the sexual misconduct definition covers all unprofessional conduct of a sexual nature that does not include touching, such as comments or remarks. The first difference when it comes to complaints of sexual abuse or sexual misconduct of patients is that the options the complaints director has to resolve the complaints are completely limited. All complaints of sexual abuse or sexual misconduct of a patient must either go to investigation, a hearing, or be dismissed. Any type of informal resolution or alternative complaints resolution is not allowed for these types of complaints. The second difference when handling complaints where the unprofessional conduct allegations are regarding sexual abuse and sexual misconduct is the hearing tribunal makeup. With these types of complaints, the hearings director must make every reasonable effort to ensure that at least one member of the tribunal has the same gender identity as the patient. The HPA even allows a hearing tribunal member from a different colleges list be selected in order to ensure someone with the same gender identity as the patient is on the tribunal. All members who are on the hearing tribunal must have received training on trauma-informed practices and sexual violence prior to the hearing. In fact, all individuals who are on these lists that the hearing tribunal members are selected from must receive this trauma-informed training. It is the goal of this legislation that as much care is taken to decrease the likelihood of the patient being re-traumatized or re-harmed as a result of the hearing's process. In fact, all college staff must also have this training to ensure that these complaints are handled with trauma-informed practices right from the initial inquiry or contact with the college. If the tribunal makes a finding of unprofessional conduct in relation to sexual abuse of a patient, the hearing tribunal must immediately suspend that individual's practice permit before any orders are made. The hearing tribunal must also give the patient the opportunity to provide a statement about the impact of this conduct before an order is made in all findings of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct of a patient. Once the patient has an opportunity to provide the statement, the hearing tribunal can make orders like in any other unprofessional conduct finding. However, some of the orders they must make are mandatory in these particular cases. If a tribunal makes a finding of unprofessional conduct based on sexual abuse of a patient, one of their orders must be to cancel the investigated person's practice permit and registration. The government of Alberta has instituted a no tolerance policy for this type of conduct, and so all individuals who sexually abuse patients have their license revoked. If a tribunal makes a finding of unprofessional conduct based on sexual misconduct, one of their orders must be to suspend the investigated person's practice permit. The Health Professions Act is silent regarding how long this suspension should be, and the hearing tribunal would be tasked with making that decision based on the conduct that occurred and the impact it had on the patient. As well, the tribunal must not use gender-based conditions as an order in cases of sexual misconduct. Before this legislation was enacted, it was typical for hearing tribunals to place conditions that the investigated person only be allowed to work with specific genders or only be allowed to work with specific genders under supervision. This is no longer seen as appropriate as it makes a very large assumption that this individual would only behave this way towards a certain gender. And that is the very last difference in the complaints process for these particular complaints. I hope that you have enjoyed the information on complaints that we have given over the last few months and that it has fostered a much better understanding of the complaints process under the Health Professions Act. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at the CMLTA by emailing cmlta at cmlta.org. We would also love to hear from you on what regulatory topics you want to explore next on our podcast. So please don't be shy and reach out anytime. And as always, thanks for tuning in.